You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Or should I say, on this Master Sunday, hello, friends. It's the greatest napping day in the history of the world when the Masters are on and you can fall asleep. Good to see you. Welcome to Life Community Church. We are glad you're here. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we strive to do that through four different values. By practicing love with everyone always. My calves are really big, um, so I always have to adjust my legs. I don't know if anybody has that problem. Thank you. Uh, giving more than what makes sense, we'll keep going. Chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives and anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are. That's who we strive to be. Uh, just a few things to bring to your attention. First of all, there's a core meeting right after this today, if you consider this to be your home church. Uh, just a brief meeting afterwards to update you on some finances. Uh, we have elder affirmations that you need to participate in if, if you are, uh, consider this to be your home church. And uh, a few other things that we're going to go through. So stay here. You're welcome to grab your kids and come back um, as well. Uh, secondly, uh, we have a fundraiser for our youth. We do this every year. It's uh, our one fundraiser for our youth. It's through Divine Barbecue, which is always a great thing, right? Uh, so we have tickets for sale today in the, at the information desk. You can buy them. I think they're $10. I know they're $10, and you can get more uh, instructions up there. All of that goes to support our kids who are going to summer camp this year. So we'd love for you to participate in that. Uh, secondly, or thirdly, uh, we have a move-up day for eighth graders on this Wednesday, so it's a movie night, a popcorn night, so if you're an eighth grader going to be a freshman, uh, you're going to be ceremonially put up in the high school, so that's kind of a big deal, so if you're a parent, just remember that. And then lastly, or no, not lastly, there is a, uh, worst, uh, let's just, all right, there is a Bible study on prayer being led by Kathy Householder and Zach Bedwell. And uh, it's just a, a tool to maybe increase some and foster some desire to pray in your life. If, if you're interested, you can sign at the information desk. Uh, men and women are allowed to be in it. It's, it's virtual, but also present. And then lastly, uh, ice cream Sunday. Ice cream get-together April 17th for children's ministry. Love for you to bring your families, get to know one another, have some ice cream. Should be a good day. All right, let's head into our message today. If you're a kid in here, uh, we are, we are going to look at a spectacular event that we don't necessarily always talk about. We're going to talk about the ascension of Jesus Christ and, and the importance that that plays in our living today. And so here's just some words that I want you to hear. You can ask your parents to explain them to you. Five words for you today. We're going to talk ascend, uh, king. This is in your packet if you're a little kid in here or, or a big kid. It's okay if you have the packet. Risen, cultivate, and advocate. Let's head into Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them, his, them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we come under your word today, and we believe it is sufficient and good for our lives and our hearts. So Lord, will you use it to push us, to bring us joy, to bring us conviction, that, Lord, we would walk in flourishing ways according to your design and in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Acts is considered the second sort of act, if you could say, of this physician historian named Luke. Luke writes the gospel of Luke that we read over Easter. The gospel of Luke is about the earthly ministry of Jesus and grounding Jesus and his ministry in to historical context, that Jesus really lived, he really was here, and that he really had ministry, and he did miracles, and Luke goes about bringing those things into historical context. This is his second sort of Acts, called the Book of Acts, and it's dealing with the history of the early church and what is happening in that time. And, and so you can hear this book called different things. You can hear Acts or Acts of the Holy Spirit or Acts of the Apostle. They all sort of seem to say, they, they do mean the same thing. You could say it like this. You could look at the Gospel of Luke and the, Acts, the book of Acts like this. It's two parts where Luke talks about Jesus in his physical earthly ministry. And in the book of Acts is Jesus's ministry when he's seated on the throne, building his church for his glory and our joy. And so Luke starts this letter by directly, uh, like, surround, like the, with the events directly surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. He addresses uh, this person named Theophilus. This word, Theophilus, means friend of God, lover of God. So this is written to all those who are friend of God. And he kind of so starts out by uh, kind of saying Jesus did these things. He, he had actions on earth. And then he presented himself alive, that he was resurrected the Apostle Paul would go on later to write to the church in Corinth that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. There are at least 10 different unique instances in our New Testament where Jesus appears to people. This resurrected Christ is seen by others. Now, what's interesting here, if we think about uh, this burden of proof that we can read about in the Old and New Testament, the, the there is this sort of law of validation where if you are going to make a truth claim, if you're going to make an accusation against somebody, you have to have two or three witnesses that bring confirmation to what you say. And so just two or three people to say that this is true, I confirm what you're saying. But here in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have way more evidence of that. Jesus appears to 500 and then to many, many others as a way to provide undeniable proof to his people that he has been risen. And Luke writes it as many proofs. 
many proofs. He uses this Greek word, tekmerion. And it's the only time in our scripture that this word is used. And that word is translated into indisputable information and certain proof. Luke is conveying, this historian is conveying his utter confidence in the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the strongest sense. There is indefutable evidence of his rising, he says. In the 1800s, there was this archaeologist named William Mitchell Ramsey. What a great, we need more three named people in our society. William Mitchell Ramsey. He was an archaeologist in Great Britain. He actually was knighted by the crown in Great Britain for his work in the field of archaeology. So he became Sir William Mitchell Ramsey, which is even better. He was raised an atheist, a brilliant student at a school called Aberdeen in Scotland, he went on to Oxford University and he sat at the seat of modernists and skeptics that didn't believe in the validity of the Bible. They disbelieved in its worth and its accuracy. It was assumed by them that it wasn't historically accurate, that it was just large portions of mythology. And so there was a belief that this book, the book of Acts, wasn't written until somewhere around 150 AD, which is about a century after these events that are recorded in this letter happened. And so Ramsey began work in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey in 1881, with the hopes of sort of confirming his proof of disbelief in the Bible. But as he began to work, what he discovered and said was that fact after fact that he found, fossil, not fossil, evidence after evidence, we'll just go with that, supported the Bible. And he eventually came to the conclusion that the book of Acts was written in the lifetime of the early apostles and that it was historically accurate. And more importantly than that, William Mitchell Ramsey gave his life to Jesus. He was converted to Christianity from his findings. There is unfailing many proofs of the, uh, that, that show us that, the, that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Now, there is no teaching recorded of Jesus after he's resurrected There's no written word of what did he say after he was resurrected. But here in Acts, we read that he spoke on two things. And the first is he spoke on the kingdom of God. And this would not have been a new thing. This would have been the entirety of his message in his ministry. This was his vision, his message from the very beginning. And and so we find this in Mark 1, that when Jesus Christ, after he's baptized, he says this, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And so the kingdom of God is the subject in the vision of his earthly ministry. It will be the subject in the vision after his death. And what we will learn later, it will be the subject in the vision of an ascended king named Jesus. The second issue that Christ talks to his followers about is the spirit of God. Now, we're going to lay that one aside because we're going to come back to that. We're going to look at the ascension this week. And next week, we're going to study this event called Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descends on the earth. And so about 40 days after Christ is resurrected, the word records that he bodily, physically ascends. He's lifted up into the sky, and a cloud takes him away. What a spectacle that would have been to be in that time. Now, at first sight, this sort of sounds like uh, elementary school when we all had those balloons that we put our name tags on. You guys, maybe you, you, and you let them go. 
and you just, you sort of, you wanted, you wanted them to drift and see how far they could go, and you'd hope you, somebody would write you a letter back that, hey, I found, I was in Iowa, your balloon drifted all this way. Well, am, I, am I the only one that had this? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I feel like I'm, thank you. A little late, but thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Here's what we learned. We were just littering. Like, we, that's all we were doing. All these thousands of balloons sent in the sky, and we're just littering. And so is, is the ascension of Jesus like this? Is it like watching a balloon slowly drift away into the sky? Well, yes and no. Yes and no, uh, because the cloud that we're talking about here, uh, they're not the kind of clouds that the great Matt Leach studies and tracks, right? These aren't cumulus or stratus or nimbostratus. Crowds, just be impressed with that cloud knowledge. This is Shekinah. Such a fun word, Shekinah. It's the cloud that envelops the very presence of God. When God meets Moses on the mountaintop, if we remember in the Old Testament, what surrounds the mountain? It's a cloud. The prophets record that when the presence of God is in the temple, it is like a cloud. And so these pillar of clouds represent and are associated with the presence of God. And so Jesus ascends and he joins this glory cloud, as you could say, and he vanishes as part of the triune God of the universe, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God's plan for redemption complete until his return. And our ancient brothers and sisters, this, right, this beautiful creed that we once studied here called the Apostles' Creed, this is a 2,000 almost year old creed, and this is what the early church said. They said that he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is on the throne as a conquering king who's defeated sin and death. He has the keys to Haiti in his hand, and he will rule the universe as its king on high forever. Forever and ever. And here we see the disciples just utterly amazed at what they are seeing, staring at the sky. And they are reminded by two men, two angels, much like we remember at the tomb, two people coming to these women, and here's what these two men say. Why are you looking for Jesus? It's the same sort of thing. Why are you looking for Jesus? He, he's, not, he's not here. But I tell you, the same way that you just saw him, he's going to come back. The same way, the same Jesus that ascended will come back. But just moments prior to this ascension, uh, as he's telling these disciples again that he is going to leave and that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit is going to come and they're going to, the Spirit is going to give you power to be my witnesses throughout the world, there in these men remain a stubborn folly, a consistent error that traps them in which they have yet to fully grasp the magnitude of what his leaving will bring them and the joy that is found in the universe to have the only begotten Son of God back on the throne. They say, Lord, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, you mean you're leaving? Isn't this time for us to go kick butts? Like, can, this is where we, we do it. We can have another triumphal entry, Jesus. Like, this will be a very triumphal, triumphal entry where you come back and defeat our enemies, right, and put us back in power, and we come back into relevancy and world domination. That would be awesome, why do you stay? Stay, Jesus, let's do this. 
They do not realize how joyful and good and satisfying and sufficient it is to have Jesus on the throne again. They've yet to understand it because they've yet to let go their own desires, their own passions, their own causes. They've yet to fully embrace his kingdom because they've yet to let go of the kingdom of their own hearts. And in essence, they are clinging to the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, hoping that he will do for them what they want, unaware of what they really need. And in John 20, there's another interaction that Jesus has with Mary in his resurrected body. And, and in John 20, it records it this way. This is, he's speaking to Mary. He says, do not cling to me, Mary Magdalene. Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Don't cling to me, for I have yet to ascend Mary didn't want to let go to the physical body of Jesus. Yet what does it say? What does it say if here we have a resurrected Christ, dead and alive by many proofs, and he is saying to them, if you think me being raised from the grave is amazing, just wait till I ascend. Just wait till I ascend. Jesus contends to the disciples. He contends to Mary. Listen, you want me ascended. You want me on the throne. And I think that we need to hear that today. Because I think that we want to cling to the body of Jesus, hoping that he serves our purpose. But do you understand? You need him ascended. You need him on his throne. And let's talk about why. The first is obvious. That when Christ ascends, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And we'll talk more in depth on that next week. But essentially what we're saying is that in the body, Jesus is fixed to a physical location and a physical body. The Spirit doesn't have those sort of proclivities and limitations. In fact, Jesus earlier in his ministry tells of his ascending and he makes a promise to his disciples, his followers, that one will come to live with you and in you forever. Jesus Christ was on earth for 33 years. His ministry was three years long. The Spirit will reign forever. And not just around you, but in you. Not just like a co-worker that you exist with, but in you by faith, transforming our hearts by the power of a resurrected king. The ascension of Christ brings to us deep and faithful relationship with the Holy Spirit of God who will never leave us nor forsake us. This is God's promise to his faithful, an intimate, transforming friendship with the sovereign God of the universe. Do you believe that? That that is your promise, that he will not leave you or forsake you. The second reason why we rejoice in his ascension is now the immortal Christ with the power over death, over sin, is ruling the universe. He's ruling now, I think that when we have this idea of a cosmic king ruling in the heavens, we make of the, may think of this cosmic killjoy or this sort of Greek masculine thunder god who sort of rules the world by his pleasure however he wants. But it is true that God rules the world by his pleasure. But we kind of know how he rules. These two men say the same Jesus that was called up into heaven will be the same Jesus that comes to you. So we know if the same Jesus is ascending to heaven 
And that same Jesus is going to come here. It will be that same Jesus that sits on the throne and runs and rules the universe. Which means that what you read of Jesus in your New Testament, in your scriptures, is the enlightenment to know how God rules the universe. That our Savior's desire has always been peace, restoration, and reconciliation. And he carries that same heart into his cosmic lordship. Jesus operates the universe in the same way that he operated on the cross. He's taking all the evil, all the bad, and he is turning it for the good. Paul writes in Romans, right? He said, in all things, not just some things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All the horrific things in our world, all the horrific things in our life, God wants to use them for his glory and for our joy. And Jesus, as the sovereign king of the universe, is taking that which is evil, and he's redeeming it, he's reordering it, and he's subduing it for his purpose and his glory and our joy. Christian, do you understand, like, you get to understand that there is good that happens, it can happen in every horrific thing in our life. We often, we often, discredit God and have angst against God for all the horrific things in our life. But we are the only people in the universe that can say, this can be good. God can redeem that. And there's great hope in the ascension of Jesus that he's doing that right now for me and for you. And in his ascension, in this very moment, we know that he's advocating with the Father over our righteousness, over our right standing in front of God. In 1 John, this letter, in chapter 2, John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The idea of advocacy sort of conveys Jesus as this lawyer. And I think that maybe when I was younger in my faith, I sort of understood Jesus as an advocate that was like in this cosmic courtroom with a father and here I am this ungracious sinner just stumbling in my faith messing up and I sort of picture Jesus pleading with the father have grace just have grace for him have grace for him be graceful with him that's the sort of advocating that I pictured and that created this worry and fear not to say that fear is not a good thing with the Lord, but a worry and a fear. Like, how many times is this going to work? Like, how many times am I going to mess up and Jesus is going to be like, hey, be merciful. Stop, be merciful. He didn't mean it. I know it started a fire. Is that what he means when he's advocating? Well, we have to remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for more than just grace. He died for justification. God is a God of justice, a God of grace as well. And Paul writes to the Romans that Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and raised life for our justification. So the advocacy that we have in the Father in the heavenly realms isn't a lawyer begging for grace, but it's one who's rooted in justice, who says, look at my hands, look at my, my feet, look at my side. I paid for that. I paid for that. Who is sufficient and satisfied with justice. God isn't pleading in hopes that God holds back his wrath from us. He's completely and utterly satisfied in justice that was served on the cross for us. And it says to us, 
in, in the book of Romans that we can have all the confidence in Christ Jesus to boldly approach his throne. We're justified. And Christ is advocating for that. And not only is he advocating for that right now, he's interceding for us in prayer. Like your Savior is praying for you right now. He's praying prayers of perseverance for you. When you don't have the strength to pray, pray, our Savior's never stopped. There's never been a moment that he's not interceding on your behalf. And lastly, the, the splendor of the ascension declares to us that we have this cosmic king in a different kingdom, in a different place, whose kingdom is breaking in here. We serve a king on a throne in a different world, an eternal king, in an eternal kingdom that will someday culminate in his return where he will set up his everlasting kingdom on this earth. Yet that kingdom is also near today. The world is being transformed by God's faithful in Christ, through Christ, living as if that kingdom has already come and that the king has already won. They live with an allegiance, a citizenship in heaven, not on earth adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God to live with Him. Think about this. The ascension, the ascension is the supreme political event in world's history. He ascended not so much to a place, but to an office. He departed an arena of humiliation as a peasant carpenter to become a cosmic king. And in doing so, in that moment, he leapfrogged from this status of a despised carpenter, and in doing so, he jumped over the head of all of the authority in the world. He jumped over all the authority that put him on the cross. He jumped over all the future presidents, all the future kings, even Oprah just jumped over her. The ascension catapulted Jesus to the right hand of God, where he's enthroned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in his ascension, he has called us upward into that kingdom to live there. Jesus wants to join us to join him there. And Paul writes it this way in the book of Philippians. He says, for, me, for, to, for to me, it, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Yet what shall I choose? What incredible language. Death, life. You know, Paul's not suicidal here. He, he, he knows that there are people after him. He knows that death is on the doorstep. He knows that he can't visit certain places. And he says, I'm conflicted. Live, die. For you, I'll stay. He has such a certitude, has such a hope. How is that possible? That Paul is so flippant with life and death. To live as Christ, to die is gain. We cling to life. Paul's like, eh. Well, he tells us. Paul tells us, he has set his mind not on what is earthly, but what is in the kingdom, its values, its realities, its king. He has an earthly body, but his spirit and his mind have ascended with Christ. 
And he says so much in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where the Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Seek and set your minds on the things that are above, on Christ. Paul is saying, fix your gaze, your aspirations, your passions, your cause, your efforts to where he has ascended. Not merely in longing, like, I hope I get there. But taking all of those aspirations, all of those passions, all of those desires, all of our minds, and setting them as if we're living there now. As if we're there now. If you have been raised with Christ. Being raised isn't just a call from being dead in sin to new life as creation. Then only to be tethered on the earth, just functioning day by day, just trying to survive. The kingdom of God here isn't the the great lover boy song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend, where we're just, everybody's working for the kingdom just trying to make it through. No, that's not what he's compelling to us. Our confession isn't we're just trying to get to heaven. It's that the faithful pursue being that which is heavenly now, here, today. Here he's implying that if you have been raised, keep rising. Keep ascending. Don't tether yourself here. Follow your Savior into the air, into the clouds. Ascend with him in thought and heart and desire and citizenship. Let you be the one to cultivate a depart and be with Christ mindset like Paul did. Better, he says. What would our families and our neighborhoods and our communities and our world look like if we had such high ambitions? Not for those out there to be raised, but that we would bring God's kingdom here through ascending in our minds, in our lives, in our hearts there. And I think that there is an alarm in some ways that this is not happening. There is an alarm that sounds amongst the faithful when this is not taking place. And that alarm sounds a lot like a lack of unity in God's church. The unity of the saint is one of the great passions of our Savior, that we would be one, perfect in mind, committed to being one together. But we struggle, we struggle thinking that our kingdom is God's kingdom. We struggle in thinking that God is like me. And to that extent, the lack of unity shows us how deeply tethered we are to ourselves and to the world to our preferences, to our desires. Not that, all of our, not that all of our desires and all of our passions and all of our efforts and all of our causes are given to the Father. That we lay empty before Him, wanting nothing more than Him. You know, there was a pastor uh, named R.C. Sproles. And Sproles was giving a series of lectures in Eastern Europe in the 1990s before the Iron Curtain fell and before the Soviet Union had fallen down. And he was traveling amongst this 
in Eastern Europe, and he was going to go into Romania, and he was warned that the Romanians were hostile to Americans. And so they prepared him to say that, hey, you're going to get harassed. You could even be arrested. And so when they arrived, these two Romanian guards just yelled at them. They accosted them. They told them to put their bags down, show them their passports. Then their boss, their supervisor, came up and spoke to them in broken English. And he noticed in the group a woman who was carrying a plastic bag on her lap. And he demanded to see what was in the bag. And she took it out, and it was a Bible. And Sproul's thought to himself, oh, now we're in trouble. So this burly officer takes this Bible, and he leafs through it rapidly. And he stops, and he looks at R.C. Sproul's, and he said this, you know American. And Sproul's just confused, like, what are you, you know American. Had no idea. And so the, the burly officer handed him the Bible, and he pointed to a text. And he had opened scripture to the book of Philippians. And he was pointing to the text that said, our citizenship is in heaven. The guard was a Christian. And he turned to his subordinates and he said, let these people alone. They're Christians. It's okay. When Christ ascended, he ascended above all the boundaries of nation states. He ascended over all the power on the earth. In an everlasting kingdom, we're not American Christians, we're not Romanian Christians, we're simply Christians. One who serves one God through one gospel in one sacrifice, all one in faith in an ascended Christ that calls us to depart this world and set ourselves on the things that are above for his glory and for our joy. And so friends, may I remind us today let us not cling to the body of Jesus. Let us ascend with him in our hearts, in our minds. It is better for you there. For there and from there, he brings us the helper, the Holy Spirit, that rules the universe alongside of him, that brings peace to our hearts. And he rules that universe in the same way that he operated on the cross. He advocates and intercedes for us and faithfully draws his people to be with him, to live with him there in that kingdom, while yet we are still living here. Would you pray with me? Father, we are creatures of being tethered. We are creatures of wanting you to be like our kingdoms, and wanting you to be like our understandings and our preferences. But Lord, will you raise us into new life that we would no longer be tethered to the things in this world. That yes, we will live here, but Lord, that we would have high-minded aspirations to live as if you were already here again. That your kingdom was on earth. And Lord, will you give us the power through your Holy Spirit to walk faithfully in that. God, we thank you that you're ascended. We thank you that you're on the throne. We love you and we pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.